We interrupt the latest Blood Red podcast to bring you a quick message from our sponsors. And today we're partnering up with LFC themselves to bring you their new fashion collection. There are hundreds of new fashion products for men, women and kids. They're all exclusive to the club and you won't find these products anywhere else. Designed in Liverpool and suitable for any match or any occasion. For men, the stylish hoodies, smart t-shirts and polos and jackets, as well as comfortable casual wear with hoodies and loungewear. And for women, there's a range of t-shirts and jackets in key autumn colours of grey and burgundy. There's black, grey and neon active wear with a mix and match outfits. And for kids, there's fun, stylish tracksuits, tees, hoodies and jackets and much more. And if you want to see any of the new gear, head over to the official website where Liverpool have got some of their biggest stars on modelling duty. You've got the likes of Virgil van Dijk, you've got Mo Salah and even new signing Alisson all wearing the new fashion range. It's the new Liverpool fashion collection and it's available at all official Liverpool stores, including the stores at Anfield, Liverpool One and Williamson Square and online at liverpoolfc.com store. That's liverpoolfc.com slash store. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello there and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast. I'm Joe Rimmer and today I'm joined by three of the finest Echo gentlemen around. On my left, towering above us all, is the tall man, Paul Ghost. How are you, Paul? I'm all right, Joe, yeah. Yourself? Good to see you. On my right... The Champions League pot specialist, or as the pothead as I know him, Christian Walsh, how are we? Slanderous. Thank you very much. How are you, Joe? I'm good, thank you. And across the way from me there, in Spain, they call him James Piace. <coughs> Here, we call him our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away. And online, they call him some nasty things indeed. <laughs> James Pierce, how are we, James? Very good, thank you, Joe. Good to see you. We'll start with you, James. Um, and we'll start at Brighton, sorry, at Anfield for Brighton at the weekend. Another solid win for the Reds. They're top of the league after three games. Um, what did you make of it? Uh, it wasn't great, was it? I think um, it was It was one of those rarities, really, at Anfield. We've become used to over the last kind of 12 to 18 months of, of, of being entertained thoroughly over the course of 90 minutes and seeing great displays of attacking football. But I thought it was a very disjointed performance. I think... Um, you could tell from his mannerisms on the touchline that Jurgen Klopp didn't particularly in, enjoy himself. Um, half expected the, the goal halfway through the first half to to settle things down and 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 Liverpool to find some fluency, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. I think the really sloppy in possession. You know, the movement wasn't as sharp as as we've come to expect from them going forward. Um, but you know, the big positive. Was that they didn't concede, and I think I think that was definitely the type of game that Liverpool would have dropped points in in the last few years. You know, it 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 it, it, it was edgy, but it never you know you you didn't feel that uncertainty in the crowd that I think we've sensed time and time again before in those kind of scenarios. Just because I think there is now a kind of a, a faith that that Liverpool are actually capable of grinding out results, and that in itself is a is a big step forward. So yeah, not. Not a game to live long in the memory banks, but you know the most important thing was uh, was winning and then uh, drawing a line under it. Does that bode well, Christine? Because if you think back a couple of years ago, they had that fantastic win at Arsenal on the opening day and then stuttered and were beaten at Burnley. And then after that, last season, they stuttered a lot at the start of the season um, and struggled. So does it bode well that Liverpool aren't quite clicking into gear at the moment but are picking up results? Very much so. I mean, what, what you've got to say is that they have been good value for all three wins I think mm-hmm. even even though it wasn't exactly fluid against Brighton it wasn't the sort of football that we come to expect at Anfield they were good value for the win you know they created loads of chances in the first half so I think it's a twofold 
positivity there because yes, number one, it is good that Liverpool are winning while not being at the best. But also number two, we know that Liverpool's ceiling is far, far higher. And it's not like they're getting lucky in these sorts of games. They're still doing more than enough to win them. It's just that they've got, I'd say, another three, maybe even four gears to go up here. So that's where the, the positivity comes from. Is, is not just the fact that you know there is more to come, but the fact that they're still managing to get the victories and and looking you know comfortable. I, I, you know, it, it wasn't very comfortable towards the end, but in general, it was. They, they had them at arms length, didn't they? And, and they were a much better side than Brighton. And they always felt not necessarily in control, but you know it will take a cataclysmic error to to allow Brighton back into that game. And you know it was a very good header from Pascal Gross, a very good save from uh, from Allison. But in general, they still restricted Brighton to to very few chances. And you know with that backline now, then there's not going to be many cataclysmic errors. So you know a one nil will be good enough most of the time, and and so it proved on Saturday. Yeah, Paul, I don't want to go all Ian Doyle, but do you have any concerns <laughs> at all about Liverpool's form? I don't, if I'm honest. I think that they've, they've played, as Christian says, they've, they've done more than enough in every game to get the win. Uh, Saturday, they were far from the best, but you know, you're know you not going to be firing on, on all cylinders for 38 games. The fact that Liverpool are coming away with three points when they, they haven't hit uh, top gear is, is you know, it's exactly what you want to be seeing there. It's... It, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is the market champions because the you know champions do win these games and they're firing on on all cylinders. And Liverpool win at the best, but you know they, they've got the win, and um, I think they're just kind of building towards that that top level that we've seen from them. You know, as James says, over the last eighteen months, two years in Anfield, and they will get there sooner or later. And uh, it's bodes well for now that they're, they're winning games when they're not playing the uh, the best. Okay, well, Christian touched upon it there, but. Plenty to be positive about defensively for Liverpool. We'll start with the goalkeeper, James. Um, he certainly had his moments on Saturday. Pulled <laughs> off a, a good save at the end, but I suppose we all, we're all going to remember that bit of skill. Um, I think Anfield had their hearts and their mouths and they really did that, but have you ever seen a goalkeeper do something <laughs> like that? <laughs> no, no, I, I haven't actually. No, and so, you know, He's just ridiculously cool, isn't he, with the ball at his feet yeah. and probably a little bit too much. So I think there was obviously... There was a one in the first half, wasn't there, with Glenn Murray, where you know he, he nearly had his pocket picked, and, yeah. and Murray ended up bundling him over, and he got the free kick, and and then even after the one, I mean, obviously the party piece is the little chip over knockout. When you know, in fact, he he'd been put into a bit of trouble by Van Dijk. It wasn't, you know, he, it wasn't a particularly nice situation that the, the Dutchman stuck him in, but yeah, just ice cool the way he dealt with it. I think you know, that was the biggest ovation at Anfield all day when. Uh, when he just slotted, controlled and then slotted it back to Van Dijk as if to say, there you go. If, you if Echo legendary goalkeeper Rado Schimmel had done that, <laughs> what, what would you have had to say to him? <laughs> There'd have been the hairdryer treatment, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure Rado would have pulled it off, but Alisson's slightly more gifted <laughs> with the ball at his feet. Um, but then even even after that, wasn't it? That, you know, he then he then decided he was going to take Glenn Murray on again. And, and, and he did ride his luck. I think, you know, it's, it's brilliant to see a keeper who's that, that comfortable with the ball. Um, but there, there is a time and a place, and you know, I think it was. I th- I'm sure that there will be a couple of words in his ear this week from John Akterberg and and Klopp as well, because uh, you know it's it, it's a massive asset the way that the way that he's able to deal with things. But he did get himself into a couple of situations on the weekend that he just didn't really need to get involved in. Um, but there's no doubt that he does inspire. You know, there's a, there's already a really great understanding between him and the players in front of him, um, 
and you know it, it showed the worth. You know, the, what do people say that you know a top class goalie is probably worth an extra ten points a season? Well, probably he's, he's got two in the bank already after that after that late save. Chris, in you know, in, in another podcast, that I sort of voiced a few doubts about whether we're all getting a bit carried away over Allison, but. He made a very, very good save there at the end to deny Pascal Gross. Um, Andrew Beasley, in his very interesting column yesterday, wrote that it was um, a clear-cut chance and, and a save that you don't necessarily expect your goalkeeper to make. What, what are your thoughts on Alisson so far? Is, it, is he impressing you? Do, you? do you feel quite confident with him? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think he's been fantastic. I, I honestly... I don't know if it's because of what's Do you think that before. was a, a really, really good save, the Gross one? I think it's a save. If it goes in, you're looking at your keeper and saying... Come on, lads, what, what yeah, was that yeah. all about? But I think because of what's happened over the past two, three, four, five years at Liverpool in the goalkeeping departments at times, um, you know, both Carius, Mignolet and, and even, you know, Pepe Reina, Brad Jones, the, not, none of them have been, um, you know, perfect. Uh, I've seen shots like that go in before. Yeah, I've seen those yeah, yeah. saveable headers, those saveable shots creep into the net somehow. Um, so... So far, so good. I'm sure. I'm sure there will be. Well, I say I'm sure there'll be a mistake. He did make one mistake leading to a goal for Roma last season. So, you know, maybe keepers just don't, maybe Allison just doesn't make themselves mistakes. We'll see. I'm sure one will come, and that you know, it's 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 important that everybody keeps their heads and and doesn't uh, vilify him. But I'm really impressed with what I've seen. The, the way he commands himself, the way he communicates. It's not his first language, but he's obviously talking. Helps that he's got Van Dijk in front of him. You know. I noticed a couple of times on Saturday how he was you know, pointing to Andy Robertson in particular, saying, no, no, you run there, that's where you're meant to be when I get this ball. Um, and I, I think it's it's what, I don't know what the phrase is, I can't remember, but you know, if you can't love me at my worst, then you don't deserve me at my best. And I, I think that ultimately those moments from Alisson, the hairy ones where he nearly gets tackled by Glenn Murray, well, you can't have them and the chip that's just the type of keeper that he is. So, yeah. you know, we're going to get both from him. You're just going to have to deal with it, strap yourselves in and, and, and enjoy the ride. He didn't get caught out like that for Roma last season. Whether it's a different league, you know, different circumstances, we'll see. I think what will be interesting as well is how Anfield takes to him because, uh, you know, he obviously did get a, a massive ovation there when he when he did the, uh, the chip, but only after half of Anfield had um, collectively dropped the pants um, in 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 a panic, um, and do people drop their pants in a panic? <laughs> yeah, do that? I, I, I was also I'm, I'm in between two metaphors <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, like, yeah, two very strange but, uh, <laughs> yeah, metaphors. But it's a family friendly friendly podcast, so I can't yeah, really yeah. say what it. They they, 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 they cacked themselves, didn't yeah, they? Recently, yeah, fine, yeah. and you know, within two minutes, everybody was screaming for him to get rid and get it out. So, you know, I think there's going to be have to be a fair bit of understanding about what Alison's all about and a little bit of patience with him, but you know. I think the ovation that he got shows that he's very much been accepted there as Liverpool's number one, even though he is actually Alison Becker 13. Yeah, OK. Well, Christian touched upon it there. Confidence is a big thing for goalkeepers. And I think Karis always looked like he was dealing with fragile confidence. Mignolet loved to drag back at times, Paul, but he didn't... No, but I don't think I've seen a keeper at Anfield carry it off with such confidence. How big a part does that play in... in Alisson settling in so well at Liverpool? Massively, I think, uh, from the reaction that the chip got over Nakhart's head, I think Alisson might just be the first goalkeeper in I don't know how long to to end up with a song on the cop. Um, it was just the, the reaction that everyone, as Christian says, they kind of drew their breath and he was like, what, what is this? And then once they realised that he dealt with it, 
you know, superbly and so calm, you kind of realised, oh, okay, we, we see what he's about, and there was just a huge ovation for him after that. And I think it, I think the saves he's had to make so far have been fairly routine. Um, I wouldn't say that Pascal Gross header was a, was a clear-cut chance. I mean, it was a decent save, but it was kind of just to his left, and you'd have been disappointed if it had gone in. But for, for too long, Liverpool fans have been disappointed by shots that have gone in and should have been saved. So it's great to see that he's not... Um, you know he's keeping these out at the moment, and he's obviously got that string to his bow where he can pick passes. And that's uh, we've seen against Crystal Palace. That's going to be a, a big asset this season. And then if he does a little trick now and again to avoid a, a oncoming striker, then um, I'm all for it. To be honest. Fair enough. Well, in front of him, another impressive showing from Van Dijk and Gomez. James, I think Klopp did mention it in his press conference afterwards that Brighton had tried to mention uh, to to um, target Gomez. Yeah, but he dealt with it well, didn't he? And, and as much as Van Dijk is, is impressing so much this season, Gomez is also really making that centre-half position his own, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. I think it was a different type of test for him because obviously on, on the Monday night before, you know, he had the pace of Zaha at times mm-hmm. flying at him and, you know, on the weekend, the physicality of Glenn Murray, who, you know, he's not an elite-level Premier League striker, but, you know, he, he, he did call, he has caused teams a lot of issues and was a big part of why Brighton stayed in the, the Premier League last season. Um, yeah, and there's no doubt he did try and bully Gomez. I think that was clearly part of their game plan to try and try and see if Gomez was the, the perceived weak link. And it, I thought he stood up stood up to it brilliantly. You know, we, we kind of think of Gomez as being this kind of classy young defender on the ball and um, and reading the game well. But you know, he, he showed that he's got the physical side to his game. Um, yeah, I, I gave man the match to Genie Wijnaldum on the weekend, but I was umming and ahhing between Wijnaldum and, and Gomez really because I thought he was, I thought he was that good, um, and you know, and, and the two fullbacks as well. I think you know Klopp had a bit of a moan about them, hadn't he, on the Monday night at Palace in terms of not not being involved enough offensively, and you know I thought Robertson and and Trent Alexander Arnold responded well to that, and yeah, as a as a unit, Liverpool operating you know really well defensively and. What is it now? Twenty goals without reply at Anfield, dating back to I think it was February. Liverpool last conceded at Anfield, and you know I think you know Jed Ray, Liverpool's statistician, said you know I have to go back to eighty-seven, eighty-eight for the last time that Liverpool were enjoying that kind of run at Anfield, and that that puts you know puts everything in perspective at the moment because you know it's it, you don't need to be brilliant going forward to win games when when you can you can you can grind it out defensively like Liverpool are doing at the moment and. For a long time, you felt under Klopp that Liverpool had to be at their sparkling best going forward. Otherwise, they would drop points. Paul, just to go back to Gomez and Van Dijk, you've written a piece today, it's been very well read, saying that Van Dijk is, is actually making life difficult for um, Gomez. Explain yourself. Yeah, well, um, basically, uh, Klopp mentioned it in the himself on, on Saturday after the Brighton game. Kind of mentioned how Glenn Murray had kind of decided that he was going <clears> to <throat> try Gomez on for size. He, didn't uh, didn't fancy taking on the imposing Van Dijk, and I think that's it's a bit of a theme to be honest. I think um, I think Van Dijk stood up well to Christian Benteke against Crystal Palace, but there was a few moments where Wilfred Zaha kind of thought he'd, he'd have a bit of a foot race with Gomez and and try this look. And, and Van Dijk was coming across, wasn't he, to win a lot of headers against yeah, Benteke? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, you'd fancy Van Dijk to, to win the, winning in the air against most uh, strikers, wouldn't you? But it just seems to be a bit of a theme at the moment. <coughs> excuse me, where. Uh, opposing strikers are kind of thinking that Gomez might be the, the weak link in, in the Liverpool back line and, and they might have a point that Gomez has only started what three games at, at centre-back in the Premier League uh, as a Liverpool defender and um, why wouldn't you think that he'd be the weak link against the world's most expensive defender but so far so good he stood up to the to the test there and the, 
the task that have been asked of him, and he's uh, he's he's in really good form. And I think uh, on current form, there's a, a real debate as to whether Lovren gets back on the side. All right, Christian, I was going to ask you that next. Lovren, when fit, is he getting back on the side? Oh, good question. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're a G one. <laughs> I say no at the moment. Um, I would say no, but I would also be mindful that if I'm thinking from a Jürgen Klopp perspective with Trent as well last season and Gomez he was careful not to burn both of them out now yeah. they are a year further on in their development and their you know physical developments as well as the actual you know mental and professional development but I still think he's only 21 years of age Gomez I think he'll be wary to, to tire him out too much I think it'd be a big ask for a for a 21 year old centre back to play you know 40-50 games in that position so I think we'll possibly see, you know, Lovren and Matip um, also, you know, sort of get chances at, uh, alongside Van Dijk. Matip's almost been forgotten, hasn't he? He has, it, it, until he came on uh, in the mm-hmm. last minute against uh, against Brighton. I, I, I've definitely forgotten about him. First um, since March, I think. Yeah, that was his first appearance since March. So, um, in competitive games, he obviously returned, yeah. didn't he, and then got injured mm-hmm. during the pre-season yeah. tour, yeah. So... I keep him in definitely. Um, I don't think you can uh, much much with the, the the team selection. Certainly before the Brighton game, and maybe now it's a little bit different after a few of the performances against Brighton. But you know, the first two games of the season, absolutely nobody could have been justifiably left out after after the way they performed against uh, West Ham and Crystal Palace. So I definitely keep him in. Um, I think also what you got to be careful of is, is you know on the other side of tiring him out is. You know, maybe potentially Denton's confidence by saying, "Well, all right, you come out now." I'm sure, you know, you're gonna explain that to him, and you know, he, he understands that he's got a World Cup finalist and what was a full Cameroon international, um, you know, very experienced player, Schalke as well in um, in Joel Matip. But you know, I'm sure if Gomez was to find himself on the sidelines against Leicester, for example, he just he, he'd have you know reason to say, "Well, what have I done wrong?" So until he until he does something wrong, until it doesn't look like it's necessarily working, keep this going because ultimately as well, this is the more long-term durable centre-back partnership, the most that Liverpool can throw out there because Matip is injury-prone. Lovren can be out with niggles and he couldn't liaise as well. Clavan before he left, was, was in and out of the team and in and out of fitness. He sometimes was unwell and picked up the little injury here and there. I know Gomez has had his problems too, but they've been long-term injuries really more than, yeah, than short-term. So it feels like this is certainly, lo- in the long-term, the more durable you know, banker, if you will, in terms of a, a, a back-to partnership. So you know, keep on letting it flourish, keep on letting it thrive. So we got the James Pierce man of the match, Genie Wijnaldum. What what do you get when you get the James Pierce man of the match? A little burger, a little slider? Just get a little mention at the end of the match report, Joe. Is that it? That's it, yeah. Boring. Well, um, anyway, you'll get a bigger mention here in the pod. Uh, Genie Wijnaldum. If if we went back to the summer, he was probably the favourite. If anyone was going to leave Liverpool in terms of that midfield, he was probably the favourite to depart. There was a few rumours about him. Are you impressed by how much he's, he's stepped it up, James? Yeah, I've been surprised. I must admit, he was probably the one that I feared for a bit. Obviously, we knew that, that Kaita was coming in already and then, obviously, when Fabinho comes in as well, um, you're thinking, wow, you know, there's massive competition for those three midfield slots. Um, and I, yeah, I did I did wonder exactly, you know, whether whether we would see when Alden almost relegated to being a, a squad player. Um, you know, there, there was 
some talk about him moving on in the summer. Although, you know, I actually asked him about that after the, I think it was after the West Ham game on the opening weekend, and he said it was absolute rubbish. All of that. I think it was. He, 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 they emanated in Turkey. Those mm-hmm. those rumours talk of him going to Fenerbahce, and he said, you know, I think it was as far as he was concerned, it was because f- Philip Koku's there, and that was his old manager at, at PSV. And he said, you know, I think people were just putting two and two and two together and getting about twenty seven there because he he said it was never in his thoughts to move on. You know, he he said then about embracing the extra competition that he said you you just have to accept when you're in a, a club the size of Liverpool and. A, and he certainly, you know, reacted the right way to it. I think, um, you know, it's not nothing new seeing him in the holding role because, you know, not not the preseason just gone, the one before Klopp did experiment with it then, and then obviously he played he played there in some big games last season. You know, not least the, the Champions League game at at City. Um, you know, he's proved he can he can do it, and he's and he's he's carrying it out so well at the moment. I, you know, I, we talk about Gomez not deserving to lose his place. I, th- I think. You'd be very hard pressed to make an argument to move when Alden from that position at the moment, just because he is performing it so so well. Um, and you know, I think what were the stats on the weekend? I think seventy-five of his seventy-six passes he he completed. You know, he used the ball so intelligently, covers so much ground, and um, I've just, I've been amazed by when Alden not not just in the last few weeks, but just in general since he's been at Liverpool, because I haven't seen him when he was at Newcastle. You know, I I just thought he was a, a really useful attacking midfielder, played as a number ten a lot for them. Um, but you know, someone who needed to be given a license to attack, and there wasn't really much else to his game. And you know, he's a very unselfish team team player. Um, in that run to the Champions League last season, you know, he, you know, he didn't. You know, there, there weren't. What was it? I think when he scored away at Roma, what was it his first away goal for three years or something? You know, a lot was made about that. I think he only scored one Premier League goal last season. But such an important link between defence and attack in this in the in the Liverpool side, and you know, the, and the way he's embraced that holding role, just I think it just shows you know he's he's a very disciplined, intelligent footballer who can take on board what what Klopp asked from him. And I think you know there was another stat knocking around that I don't think anyone has played more games for Klopp since when since when Alden arrived at the club in the summer of 2016, and that shows just how trusted he is by the manager. I suppose it says a lot as well about Klopp's recruitment in terms of you don't just get the players he's brought in, but the players who are already there have had to step it up. And we haven't seen Fabinho. But a part of that is because the players around him have really stepped the game up, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, we've we've said a few times, haven't we, that Liverpool's midfield now is basically six into three. And whoever you pick, you'd be quite comfortable comfortable enough with seeing them in the team. And I I think Jordan Henderson's actually done quite well when he's come on against Palace and Brighton. He's, He's kind of kept the energy and the tempo going. And he's, he looks fit and strong, and he looks like he, he's not really suffering from any kind of World Cup hangover. But um, at, at the moment, you'd be hard-pressed to take any three of them off the team. James Milner's been outstanding. Wijnaldum was excellent on Saturday, as James says. And Naby Keita's just got that little X-factor, hasn't he, that everyone's, you know, he seems to be the man that everyone loves at the moment. So um, it, it's a squad game, and uh, particularly in the midfield, as hard runner as Liverpool, so they will need everyone across the season. So... I'm not particularly worried that Fabinho is not even getting in the squad at the moment because I think that'll take time and he's spoken about that himself as Jürgen Klopp has and I think everything's uh, all and well at the moment in, in the midfield. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. OK, Christy, I'm going to put you on your toes then. Klopp did speak after the game. Um, 
he said that Liverpool had lost the plot towards the end of the game and he hinted that he, he would make changes uh, for the coming game against Leicester. So what changes would you make? What changes would I make or can what? I see Jürgen make them? Okay, a little bit of both. What changes would you okay. make and what do you think he will do? Um, I don't know why I asked that because I still haven't got an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I think a midfielder will drop out although we've just been waxing a little about the yeah. midfield. I think we probably will see Henderson come back in. And I think I probably would do that myself. Now, which one drops out, I'm not sure. I would be surprised if Cater maybe yeah, was dropped right. to the bench. I think against Leicester away, I think it'll be the biggest test so far. And I think he might be keen to go with what he already knows. And obviously, that midfield of Milner, Henderson and Wijnaldum got Liverpool to the Champions League final, to the start of the Champions League final. Just to make things a bit more complicated then, well, if Henderson does come in, where does he play? Because Wijnaldum's been playing so well in that defensive role. I think you still put Wijnaldum further forward. I think just because I think Wijnaldum can perform. I think ultimately Wijnaldum is worth more in that position because he's played in it. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than Henderson. I think that would just be too big of an adjustment. I think you sort of stick with what you know. I think uh, you know that is the three that in that setup which starts the Champions League final. So you get Henderson deeper with those two sort of shuttling as well. Um from three, I don't know. Does, does it'd be a big call? I mean, the, the, the thing about this is that it's it's a it's an international break after this. So, are you are you not necessarily resting players because obviously he'll look at it more than just the next game? But ultimately, if you were to say, let's say you'd give Mane a rest and you bring in Shakiri, let's just throw that one out there. I mean, ultimately, all you're serving there is the rest is like for Senegal in in, in the uh, African African qualifiers. So, you know, I think if there's, I think there might be one change, and I think that might be the change. Um, I can't see him making any others. Um, it would be a midfielder for Henderson, I think, and maybe toy with the idea of maybe Mane getting a rest. I think Mane's been Liverpool's best attacking player um, so far. I just thought it was maybe significant that he he went off quite not early, but he was he was the second sub, wasn't he? When he when he went off for storage, um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting because you know three wins out of three, you you feel like it'd be almost a risk to to make those changes, but at the same time, you know I think Leicester will provide a bigger threat and, and certainly a more varied threat than you know even without Vardy that Liverpool have faced so far this season. James, you go along with that? Yeah, I don't think there'll be. Hardly any, if any, changes at all. I think you know, with with a decent turnaround. I think I think Klopp was, pro- was pretty angry after the game, just in terms of. I don't think he particularly liked the way that Liverpool didn't, you know, they didn't take control and and didn't see the game out with any great authority. And I, I wonder whether, having slept on it and then worked on the training ground this week, that he'll probably be less inclined to change things. I'd, I'd be amazed if he changed the front three. I mean, I thought Mane was really, really poor on Saturday. You haven't been, you know, brilliant in the in the opening two games. He he just had one of them days where, you know, the ball was bouncing off him. Every pass he seemed to make didn't didn't reach the intended target. You can have that sort of day, can't he? Yeah, and, and I think sometimes as well. I think I think he just I think sometimes it gets to him. I think we've spoken before about like how sometimes he takes things to heart and. You know, Klopp obviously talked last week about how, you know, he's finally realising how good he is. But he, he just seemed to forget for about ninety minutes on Saturday because, um, you know, he he didn't start great and then couldn't pull it back round. But again, like I'd be amazed if he 
you're right you know what would be the real benefit of of leaving him out for him that you know then going to go for someone on international duty no i think the only possible one w- would be in the center midfield if he thinks the time's right to find room for jordan henderson but then i don't even think that's nailed on just because you know as, as we said you know do you really want to shift one out from that role and also you know he's got He's got virtually a full week, hasn't he, to prepare them and and improve things. So it wouldn't surprise me if you know we're sat here next week talking about Liverpool having had the same lineup for the opening four matches. Okay, we'll move on. We'll change subject subject slightly. Something I was speaking to you about before this podcast, Paul. Um, on Saturday evening, Michael Owen was in the BT studio talking about his cream. For someone of our age group, Paul, Michael Owen was one of the biggest heroes around. He was yeah. such a goal scorer for Liverpool and <clears throat> obviously his career went in such a strange trage- trajectory. He fell out he fell out of favour um, with Liverpool fans because of where he moved to. But did you change your opinion of him at all? He had, he had a chance to really explain things and he? he went into a lot of detail about his injuries and then about the, the move away from Liverpool and the non-return to Liverpool Um what are your thoughts on Michael Owen? It's, it's a difficult subject to, to yeah, talk about. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, as you say, his, his career was a, a weird trajectory. It was like basically like seven or eight years, and then he, he kind of tailed off. And I've never known a player to come into the Liverpool team, the first team, as young as he did and be as influential as he was. He was basically first full season. I think he finished as Liverpool's top scorer, and he was the main man. Um, that's basically unheard of now, isn't it? And you think of how much he'd be worth now as a young 18-year-old scoring 25 Premier League goals or whatever it was. You probably couldn't buy him, but um, the, the way he left it, it, you know, it was so disappointing, wasn't it, for Liverpool fans because he was one of the best uh, strikers in Europe at the time and he was courted by one of the best teams in Real Madrid who paid a pittance for him and at, who had insult to injury kind of gave Liverpool one of their cast-offs in Antonio Nunes, who was never up to it as well. So... Liverpool, some Liverpool fans have, have certainly never forgiven that and you, you can't see where they're coming from but hearing Owen Tyler's story the other night on BT it was really uh, it was fascinating to be honest and um, I, I did kind of change my opinion of him because he, he was basically saying he accepted he's made his bed and he, and he was forced to lie in it but he tried so hard to, to move mountains to get back to Liverpool and mm. for whatever reason it didn't quite work out Liverpool were unwilling to match Newcastle's 16 million in 2005 was it? Um because they'd sold him 12 months earlier for half that, and you can understand that from Liverpool's perspective. And then when he wanted to come back, there was Fernando Torres there, and uh, there was talk of him coming back in 2009 under Benitez, and it just, for whatever reason, didn't quite work out for him. So I, I do see some sympathy with with, uh, with Owen and, and um, basically how it panned out for him once he left Liverpool. But once he left Liverpool, he was never the same again, was he? You know, that, that knee injury at the World Cup in 2006 virtually put paid to his career and it was a real shame because he's, he's one of the best strikers Liverpool have ever had Do you forgive him Christian? I don't know um, <laughs> <laughs> I find it I don't think my, my feelings were never that strong in the first place so I don't think mm. it's really fair for me to answer it in the sense of forgiveness um, I think I've always sort of looked at football I did at that point anyway quite clinically and I just thought well I wasn't disappointed when Liverpool didn't get him again in 2006 2005 sorry I remember feeling quite indifferent to it indifferent when he left and indifferent when they didn't get him back and indifferent when he went to United he never quite had the connection of a Robbie Fowler did he he was always England Michael Owen you know that's always the so it didn't really sting me and so it was never about forgiveness I find that sort of the after the fact 
nature of all this now a little bit you know this it's just uneasy with me i mean he was in you know ultimately he was an everton fan growing up so he can yeah. say about how much he loved liverpool but he was an everton fan growing up now you know robbie fowler was as well yeah. steve mcmahon was on jamie carragher of course so i'm not saying that but this whole it was my boyhood club and i think he's i think there is a little bit of pr to play here yeah. in terms of he realizes the I think he realizes the perception of him out there, and I think he's this got was nowhere to hang his hat, has he, Owen? No, and I think this was his yeah. I, his chance to sort of maybe get back into the good books of, of Liverpool fans. I, I I don't think there's anything to forgive. He mm. left the he left the team, which ultimately went on to win the Champions League. He went to Man United. I, for me, I, I'm just too far removed to to really care about that. Um, so for me, there's there's nothing to forgive personally. I just find all this sort of you know hindsight where he, he's coming out and telling us the, the real story ten, twelve, fourteen years later to just be you know almost like a bit of a, a, a ploy to to get back in the good graces of Liverpool fans and and try and become Liverpool's Michael Owen and again I, I just don't know if if that's really you know if that's for me to be honest. James, whether someone of your age group slightly older than, than <laughs> the younger only, only gentleman slightly. around this table, <laughs> slightly, yeah, um, sit with the Michael Owen debate, you know, is, do you think it's all blown up a bit out of proportion? Uh, it just depends who you speak to. I, I've always, uh, you know, similar to Chris, I've never really had a, a massive problem with Owen. I think you know, he, he made decisions in his career for hit, for himself, he, to, to better himself mm. than he thought at the time. Um yeah, I'm just slightly uneasy about you know tr- the kind of like you know maybe I'm sure he would say it's not rewriting history, but but going back over it now, you know the fact of the matter is I think I think you're right. This a lot of this stems from the fact that he doesn't really have anywhere to hang his hat on in terms of you know we've we've seen it at charity games at Anfield when he's come back in the last few years, and there's been times when he's been booed. Um, you know it, it didn't happen the, the last time he came back, but certainly because he even though he went on to play for Manchester United now. You know, he talked about that again. I've, I've interviewed him previously, and he's spoken about it when he's adamant that that at that point he had a choice between United and Everton, and he said, you know, wh- which one would Liverpool fans have preferred me to pick? I couldn't, I couldn't have won either way. Um, and I remember, you know, he, at the time he claimed that if he hadn't picked one of those two, he, he thinks he'd have ended up in the Championship, and he had to do what was best for his career. What I'd say to that is, you you know full well that if you go and play for Man United. You are pretty much surrendering any you know, real close bond that you've got with Liverpool just because of the the animosity, animosity and rivalry between the two clubs. So it, I'm not sure you can do that and then try and plead that it, it you know, that you had no other choice because that's just the way the way football is. I think mm-hmm. you know a lot of people will just think fair play to him. Do you know what he d- he did what he needed to do? He won trophies, but you know I, I think if you want to be remembered fondly, then you've got to think of the the bigger picture. I know. I know for a fact when, because I was I was at the Echo, not not covering Liverpool, but on the desk at the time when he wanted to come back before he went to Newcastle, and there was a feeling from Liverpool at the time that, although that yeah, it's right that Liverpool weren't prepared to to match what Newcastle were willing to to pay Real Madrid for him, that Liverpool felt that he should have sat tight and that if it had got closer to to the deadline that. Um, that there would have been, you know, Real Madrid would have had to have backed down and, and given him his right. Now, Liverpool felt that he, that Owen wasn't prepared to to kind of go the distance on that one, mm. and in the end took took the move to Newcastle. And obviously, Owen will say, as he has done recently again, 
that he had no other option because only Newcastle paid the asking price. So, um, yeah, I think he's you know he, it's just an interesting thing because you know he, he was he was an amazing talent who just you know the, the thing that really strikes me you know like emotionally about what he had to say was about the injuries and stuff because I think yeah, you know it was good man. yeah because it is you you kind of it's easy to become cynical and stuff but you think of what what he what he put his, his body through at times and, and and from what he achieved at such a young age it is sad the fact that he was never able to to really fully you know realize his potential um and you know i think people will be liverpool fans will just be divided i think on what they make of what he's had to say it's a crying shame though isn't it really because i mean my brother's my little brother's 22 and i don't think he ever will truly understand what michael owen was because yeah. i think I, I don't think there are many players in in english football where there's such a disparity between the type of player and how good they were and how they're now sort of remembered mm. i think he's almost seen as this joke figure yeah, i mean for, sure. for a long for, for, for the first eight years of his career he was not a joke figure he was one of the best strikers in europe he was absolutely phenomenal like you think about the 2001-2002 season when he won the Ballon d'Or. Mm. Another Ballon d'Or was it the Ballon d'Or? Yeah, Ballon yeah, d'Or. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah, course, it yeah. kind of meant it was the, the it was the European footballer yeah. of the year, wasn't yeah. it? Um, when he won that, he was absolutely sensational. You know, unbelievable. Um, but anyone of a certain age just thinks he's this boring, monotonous Alan Partridge sort yeah. of, you know. Nobody, and it's it, 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 it's amazing when you think about how many games he's played for England, how many goals he scored for England, the type of impact the trophies he's won, um, and he's just regarded as almost like this quasi joke figure. It's 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 probably one of the biggest. I'd, I'd have it up there with maybe Paul Merson in terms of people have separated what was a very good player <laughs> with what is yeah. now a bit of a joke figure in the media. Yeah. Okay, then we're going to end this podcast with uh, if you're listening to it before bed. Uh, sweet dreams because we're going to end with Christian <laughs> talking about the Champions League pots. <laughs> Paul, James, you may as well leave now. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll set no, him no, loose. No, no, he doesn't wait until he hears where he might be going to. We'll, we'll set, him, set him loose. Christian, Liverpool will find out their Champions League fate on Thursday at 5 pm. But before that. A little bit longer. Sorry? Well, it's, it's start of 5. Start of yeah. 5 pm. Yeah. Yeah, half 11 probably, yeah. before they get around to join the Bulls. That's, that's true. But yeah, Liverpool will find out on Thursday afternoon. Um, before that, though. Their fate could could change for ever so slightly, couldn't it, Christian? Yeah, I mean, what do you want to know? Oh, what don't we want to know, Christian? <laughs> uh, we just just run us through every single ideal, team. Ideal groups, yeah. uh, worst case scenarios. Well, okay, first of yeah. all, we should start with the just fact bear that in Liverpool mind, we've got don't about know four what minutes pot, left. So. Four minutes, okay. Liverpool <laughs> don't know what pot they're in. Um, maybe by the time you've listened to this podcast, they do. On Wednesday night, Pauk will play Benfica. If Pauk eliminates Benfica, then Liverpool will be bumped up to pot two. Uh, if Benfica. Just for those listening, Pauka, Panathinaikos, pa- aren't they? No, no. Are they not? Pauk, Salonika. Are they different? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> These Greek clubs are the silly names. Yeah. Just write that down, Christian. Pauk, Salonika. <laughs> Fe- they're from Thessaloniki. Uh, yeah, and if Benfica knock out Pauk, then Liverpool will remain in pot three. It's currently 1 1, and the second leg is in Greece, which is a notoriously um, intense atmosphere. So I'd probably have the Greeks' favourites. Okay. Um, so what what else do we want to know? But Just okay. best, best and worst case scenarios. Best then. and worst case scenarios. So pot one is full of champions, um, and includes Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Juventus, PSG, and Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, pot two has Dortmund, Porto, 
I'm only going to go through the teams that Liverpool can play here. Shakhtar, Benfica, if they go through. Napoli and Roma. And puff four would be Valencia, Pilsen, Athens, Bruges, Galatasaray, Zagreb, Inter and Hoffenheim. That's based on, obviously, some of those teams could go in and out, but it's also based on the teams who have got the advantage at the moment going through. Uh, so I think if, you, if they're in puff three, you're looking at, I don't know, what, what are we saying? Barcelona? You want locomotive, do you? You want lo- oh, easy yeah. ones in Porto terms of... Porto in two? Locomotive, Porto and AK Athens, Pilsen, Bruges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Probably Bruges for the trip because it's not that far and yeah, you'd be able to do it in a day, wouldn't you, Jay? Um, I don't care about Jay. That's sending the deepest, darkest Russia. <laughs> yeah. And then if they're in pot <laughs> two... in Siberia, that, that's, that's the best. <laughs> if, they're in, away. Yeah. if they're in pot two, then it's, you know, you're looking at pot three... Uh, teams would potentially be like Ajax, Schalke, Lyon, Monaco, Salzburg, CSK Moscow, PSV Eindhoven, and Valencia. I see Liverpool play Ajax. I'd like to. I'd like yeah. to see Liverpool in the Amsterdam Arena. Yeah, that'd be that good. good. Yeah. James would be absolutely loving the waffles. <laughs> what are they trying to say? <laughs> no, the waffles are really good. <laughs> well, I'm sure they are. But why? You, what, that that was okay, an insinuation. Right. I'm just yeah, saying, like waffles. Poor James. Uh, Go on. Uh, you know, so. Ultimately, I've seen a lot of people say it doesn't matter what pot Liverpool are in. You know, it's we're, it we're Liverpool. You, doesn't it? It, it, it matters to me. <laughs> <laughs> it matters to the audience, Joe. No, but it, you know, people are saying that it doesn't really matter. So I think it does because you look at the pot two teams there, and you're potentially playing. James is yawning. James is just yawning. He's doing it for the fact. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, didn't even need to pause. You know, you don't you don't want Liverpool going to Napoli. You don't want them going back to Rome. You don't want them having a trip out to Donetsk and Dortmund. Start of the season with a four-one win over Leipzig. There, Porto are the only ones where you go. You know, well, obviously they won five-nil and two nil nil last season. Whereas Pot Three, it's full of names, but I don't I don't know what you think. But it's just it's full of names, but names the that names you aren't got. Though. Yeah, the names that you want to play. I don't think Liverpool should have any fears against Ajax against Leon. There's sort of teams course. that play a bit of football with you as well, and that plays exactly. into Liverpool's hands. Yeah. Salzburg, Moscow, PSV Eindhoven, you know, even Valencia got turned over at the weekend in the first game of the season. So I understand where people come from when they say, "Oh, it doesn't matter, it's Liverpool." But I think ultimately they do want to be in pot two. I think it's, I think they'll ultimately get an easier draw. So you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Hopefully, the draw is not as boring as that last five minutes of the podcast. You, you, you can understand fans being bullish, can't you? Considering the way well, Liverpool, they were in pot three last season, yeah, the final. they went all the way to the final, so you can understand that they're saying, you know, we're Liverpool and we're back on the map and whatever. But ultimately, you want the easiest group possible, don't you? So take Lokomotiv Moscow all day. Well, they got that last season as well. It was yeah. actually, I think yeah, it was Spartak the, the Spartak were the worst. Yeah. I think Porto were the, the either the worst or the second. Sorry, Sevilla were the worst or the second yeah. worst in. Mm. Pot two and Maribor were very much the worst in Pot four. They got knocked out by Rangers this but season. There's, there's something about a, a reunion with Real Madrid that kind of appeals to me. You know, I just think I'd like to see Barcelona. Like a, a revenge mission. I'd like to see Barcelona. I mean, obviously, taking away the the fact that Liverpool, I hope Liverpool draw FC. You know, tin yeah. pot. Um, what what pot was that? Pot X. Right. On that note, um, if you're on the train and you've fallen asleep and missed your stop, I'm sorry. Um, for the rest of you, we'll see you on Friday where we will discuss that Champions League draw as look ahead to Liverpool's trip to Leicester. It's all right. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. 